1: On December 5th, 1872, sailors aboard the De Gracia ship were making their way across the North Atlantic Ocean when they spotted a craft far off in the distance, which appeared to be in distress. The 282-tonne brigantine was reeling high upon the waves, and as the crew of the De Gracia drew closer, they could see the ship which was seemingly fine, apart from sitting a little low in the water. After wrangling the ship like a wild horse and climbing on board, the crew discovered that any inhabitants that had once been there were now gone. The ship was left rolling on the high seas, abandoned and eerily quiet, but what had happened to make the crew flee this seemingly still seaworthy vessel, and more importantly, where were they now? This infamous story has hundreds of theories surrounding it, but as yet, it's never been solved. However, I have dredged up some interesting concepts from the deep, which may just put this salty sea dog of a tail to rest. So grab your compass and your seasickness tablets and join me aboard the Mary Celeste as I delve into another macabre mini mystery. and welcome back to another macabre mini-mystery. Now before we get into today's episode, if you're new here, hi, my name's Nikki, and if you love weird, spooky and strange history, then I'd love it if you joined our ghoul gang by hitting the subscribe button on YouTube or on your podcast provider so you can be added to my creepy collection of like-minded individuals and never miss out on an episode. Now today's episode is arguably one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of all time, But it might surprise you to learn that when this event happened, it barely made the newspapers, and was a tale almost lost at sea for eternity. To get ourselves indoctrinated to the time, let's head back to the year 1872 to the heady world of commerce. A glamorous trade hall, glittering piles of money, and glorious upmarket department stores. Just kidding we're headed to the docks. The 1800s was a booming time in terms of global trade. The British had already been taking advantage of their close proximity to Europe by using ships to move goods around, but equally had been travelling further afield to collect the main precious commodity, tea. Because, let's face it, us Brits couldn't get enough of the stuff. And still can't. Apart from me, actually. I much prefer coffee. But I've not yet had my citizenship revoked, so I don't think the authorities have noticed yet. So don't tell anyone. Anyway, in the 1870s, trading via ship boomed, and it wasn't just tea that was being traded. Even though a full cargo could garner the equivalent in today's money of millions in revenue, all sorts of goods were bought and sold. The cost of transport was low compared to the relative cost of goods, such as cotton, silk, wool and coffee. And as such, not just the Brits, but plenty of other westernised countries jumped on the watery bandwagon, shipping in exotic items by the boatload. As demand for vessels was exceeding supply, shipyards sprung up all over the place to accommodate the needs of traders, and timber yards began deviating from their usual activities, quickly leaning into the more profitable shipbuilding trade. After all, how hard can it be to make a decent floaty-boaty? Turns out, quite hard. Many ships were hastily constructed, and equally hastily deconstructed, by the ocean, leaving crews limping back into port with a soggy bottom. It was common for ships that didn't quite cut the mustard to be traded in for parts, with many cut-and-shut jobs being carried out to make a new seaworthy vessel from the bits that were salvageable. This reduced costs and meant ships could be easily repurposed to carry out jobs hauling different cargo from the one they were originally built to transport. The Amazon, a seafaring brigantine, was a ship that suffered the same fate. Built in 1861 in Nova Scotia in Canada the Amazon was a good sturdy ship built to be a workhorse. She carried out many crossings exporting goods, but after a few years and a few mishaps like running aground and a collision, she was becoming a little long in the tooth. Her speed was also being superseded by steamships, which were faster, and as such she was taken out of commission after a collision and was due to be wrecked altogether. However, sensing a bargain, one man, Richard Haynes, decided to rescue her from being scrapped and refitted her so she was once again seaworthy, and changed her name from the Amazon to the Mary Celeste. But having a ship of such great size was a big investment, and Haynes quickly ran out of money, with creditors moving in to seize the ship. One group of men, a mix of experienced sailors, businessmen, and business sailors, were looking to invest in a second-hand ship, so they could begin trading, and get in on the goods boom. So when the Mary Celeste was offered to them, they snapped her up. They then proceeded to put her on an episode of Pimp My Ride to get her souped up. Pimp My Ship, if you will. In 1872, she was given significant upgrades to make her as profitable as possible. By adding a new deck to the ship, more goods could be carried, and the Mary Celeste would soon be earning her keep. Much like a second-hand car might receive a new paint job and a sneaky adjustment to the mileometer, the Amazon was now transformed into a super transporter under the guise of the Mary Celeste. However, the upgrades to the supership had increased the weight by several tons, something which was probably not the best idea on a ship built to carry much less weight. But these adjustments were quietly snuck under the radar, and the boat was reinsured. One of the investors in the Mary Celeste, American-born Benjamin Briggs, just so happened to be a captain as well, which was a stroke of luck, so for a decent share of the profits, he would head up the ship with a small crew and also take his family on board for free lodgings. What could possibly go wrong? The secured cargo of alcohol, not the drinking kind but the kind used as fuel and as cleaning fluid, was loaded on board the ship in New York with a plan to sell the cargo in port in Genoa in Italy. Alcohol was an interesting choice, as it was a dangerous cargo to carry, due to its flammable nature. One wrong move, and the whole ship could go up. But this wasn't the first time a ship had travelled with copious amounts of flammable liquid on board, and as long as the right precautions were taken, it would be relatively safe. With everything ready to go, Briggs packed up his wife, young daughter, and the crew, and away they went. The Mary Celeste set sail from New York, briefly pausing at Staten Island due to poor weather conditions. At this point, Captain Briggs may have been having second thoughts about a decision he'd made earlier in the day. The Mary Celeste had only one lifeboat on board. After one of the lifeboats was damaged, the decision was made to remove it, but running out of time to leave port, Briggs pressed on and departed without sourcing a replacement. Almost immediately after leaving port, Triton reminded Briggs why two lifeboats would be a sensible idea, as the seafaring conditions grew treacherous. The ship headed straight into a storm which put the boat through its paces, but the crew battled through and, despite the bad weather, managed to make it back on course. According to the ship's log, everything was going okay, even though the weather was giving them some pretty rough sailing conditions. But the entries abruptly ceased on the 25th of November. Nine days later, the Degracia, a ship which had left port only a few days behind the Mary Celeste, spotted the ship bobbing aimlessly in the ocean. The captain of the De knew immediately that the ship must have been in trouble, as he wasn't expecting to see it on their journey at all, as the Celeste should have been way ahead of them on course. They began waving at the ship and trying to elicit a response, but they were met with absolute silence. Heading off to check out what was going on, the De pulled up alongside the Celeste and the crew climbed aboard. Immediately, the crew checked for signs of life, but no one stirred. Springing into action, the men of the De Gracia went into life-preserving mode to ascertain if they too could be in trouble aboard the abandoned ship. The first thing to do was to check that the boat wasn't going to sink into the deep with them on board. It wasn't uncommon for ships to hold water they had taken on board in the hull, particularly in bad weather. To rectify this, pumps were fitted to ships to alleviate the water that seeped into the bottom of the boat. The signs of the crew of the Celeste having used the pumps to dredge the builders of water were there on deck, but that was nothing unusual. But with the ship abandoned, the pumps on deck may have pointed to a more significant problem below. On closer inspection of the ship's sails, everything seemed to be in order, apart from some tearing, which was probably encountered during the bad weather. But the main rope for the rigging was also gone. Potentially tossed over the side by the rolling ship, or may be detached and taken by the crew. To check exactly what was going on with the ship and before descending into the bows, risking opening a door which could cause the boat to become overwhelmed with water, the sailors checked the depth of the water taken on board. They used an ingenious device fitted to all ships at the time, which basically equates to a long pendulum covered in ash. The pendulum is put through a hole on deck, which reaches to the bilges, where the depth of the water on board can be measured. When the pendulum is drawn up, you can see just how much ash has been washed off, and thus how deep the water is without having to go wading downstairs. Super clever. After ascertaining that the ship only had a normal amount of water in its hull, about three feet or so, the intrepid crew opened the doors leading to the lower decks. Two hatches on the boat were wide open, but there was no water inside either of them, and the doors looked untouched. And again, perhaps these had blown open whilst the ship was left bobbing around. Fearing the worst, the men began to think they may be about to find an expired crew, but all they found was, well, nothing. All the signs pointed to the crew of the Celeste having left the ship in a hurry, and the lifeboat was missing from the deck, which suggested as much as they were nowhere to be seen. Below decks, the boat was still full of the crew's belongings, but all the paraphernalia needed for navigating the ocean had gone, pointing to the group having taken the equipment with them when they disappeared to wherever they disappeared to. After a thorough search of the ship and finding nothing which pointed to those on board returning any time soon... The captain of the Gracia split his crew between the two boats and the Mary Celeste sailed the 600 miles onward to port in Gibraltar with only three crew members on board. But why would the inhabitants of another ship be interested in bringing an abandoned ship back to port? After all, sailing an abandoned ship, which may have unseen problems hundreds of miles, doesn't seem like a brilliant idea to me. But, and I'm sure you're way ahead of me here, as with most reasons people do things, it boiled down to money. The sailors aboard the Daygratia were well aware that if they could bring the Mary Celeste back to port, they could submit her for a salvage claim and be compensated by the insurers for returning the boat so they could recoup some of their losses. With salvage claims, the more dangerous the job to bring the ship back, the more the salvage hunters would receive for their troubles. However, as soon as both ships docked, the fingers began pointing at the members of the Gracia crew, as with a potential considerable claim to be awarded, this whole situation was looking a little fishy. Authorities instantly thought that the crew of the De Gracia boarded the Mary Celeste, slaying those on board and throwing their bodies into the Briny Deep so they could bring back the ship and be rewarded. Those in charge of awarding the salvage claim of course tried to find any evidence which might lead to them not having to pay out. And when collating evidence against the crew of the De Gracia, they stumbled across a sword found on board the Mary Celeste underneath Captain Briggs' bed. The sword was originally looked at when the boat was brought back into port, and nothing was thought of it. But trying to incriminate the men, some stains on the sword, thought to be blood, were heralded as proof that the crew of the Mary Celeste had been murdered. The sword was sent to a doctor who tested the stains on the blade, and found they were nothing more than rust.
0: you.
1: Still seeking not to pay out, the insurance company came up with all sorts of excuses as to why they shouldn't. One of which was that this was insurance fraud and that the crew of the De Gracia were working on behalf of the crew of the Mary Celeste, who would fake their deaths and the monies paid out would be split between them. In order to try and fight the claim further from the De Gracia and to try and reclaim his ship, the primary owner of the Mary Celeste... The one with the biggest share in the ship, travelled to Gibraltar. However, he swiftly left again when it was pointed out that the ship had a few problems, in terms of the new deck that was added which completely changed the ship, increasing its weight. So he hightailed it out of there before he got himself into trouble by revealing the changes which would have more than likely null and voided his insurance. The salvage claim took four months to process, but eventually, when the evidence was proven to be inconclusive of the whole murderation business, the crew of the De Gracia were successful in being awarded the monies they were going after, but were only awarded a small percentage of what they were originally going after. The court still thought they were guilty, and so the pittance they were awarded was a reflection of those thoughts. The Mary Celeste was fixed up and sold on again, but despite the whole ghost ship incident... The name was still kept the same, and she continued sailing for a further thirteen years, before she was eventually deliberately ran aground for an unsuccessful insurance fraud claim, and left to rot just off the coast of Haiti. Despite the notoriety the mysterious ghost ship has today, back when the abandoning of the ship occurred, it didn't make the headlines at all. In a time when trading by ship was the norm, vessels of all shapes and sizes were frequently lost at sea, abandoned or wrecked entirely. Storms, obstacles and general peril was responsible for all sorts of ocean mishaps, and as these occurrences were so frequent, they barely made the news, with just a few lines being reported upon of the general comings and goings and never returnings of the thousands of ships that departed ports around the globe every single day. In November 1872 the month when the Mary Celeste left port, the weather was reported to be some of the worst seafaring conditions on record, and hundreds of boats that fought the waves lost, condemning their timbers and crews to their final resting place in Davy Jones' locker. In just the month of December that year alone, there were approximately 600 vessels which ran into some kind of major trouble around the world, and that's just the ones that were recorded, let alone the hundreds more that were deemed too insignificant to make a note of. In fact, I searched back through the newspaper archives to the year the Mary Celeste was abandoned, and there wasn't one single report that I found that made it to the UK papers about the abandoned ship. After all, the papers would have been there all day if they'd reported on every single ship lost at sea, wrecked or ran aground and as such, journalists by the end of November more than likely realised that shipwrecks didn't sell papers, and so didn't bother putting them in the news. As a result of this, the story of the Mary Celeste went undiscovered, until Arthur Conan Doyle, he of Sherlock Holmes fame, was told a fabricated version of the tale by a sailor, and off the back of this, he wrote a short story titled J. Habakkuk Jefferson's Statement, which was a fictionalised first-hand account of the story of the Marie Celeste. Along with the changed name, many of the fictional details of the story mingled with the truth and began to become attached to the original yarn. Hands up if you thought the name of the ship was Marie Celeste, you wouldn't be alone in that thought. Many other myths from Doyle's tale have become part of the lore of the story, twisting the legend into a far more mysterious occurrence than the truth presents. For example, Doyle's version of events would have you believe that the boat was immaculate when found, when in fact there were signs that the ship had been weather-beaten, even if only mildly. Full meals weren't found on board, untouched, things weren't completely immaculate, and there were signs that the ship had been in some perceived distress, which had seemingly caused the captain to man the sole lifeboat. All of this neatly leads me on to the many different theories which have evolved over the years about the ship, and allows us to speculate about what potentially did happen to the crew. If we lean into the mystery, we can delve into a few different scenarios which may have led to the Brigantine floating alone in the ocean, and to see if any of these are seemingly plausible. First off, the ship was found drifting way off course from its original route, so perhaps the boat was boarded by pirates who killed the crew and made off with the ship, before dumping that one and taking on another ship. This one doesn't make a huge amount of sense, as all personal effects, and more importantly the vast amounts of alcohol below decks, even though it would have been quite undrinkable, were left untouched. Now, you can tell me that perhaps these pirates were all straight-edge, but no signs of violence and booze, albeit disgusting booze, being intact point to a big nope for me on that theory. Mutiny of the crew is another thought, but again, no signs of violence on the ship, anything of value was left behind, and surely the crew would try and port the ship so they could at least sell the cargo. So nah, not that one either. Madness from drinking seawater or starvation from lack of rations is also a possibility which caused the inhabitants of the ship to depart, but if that was the case, the crew would have definitely drank at least some of the terrible alcohol, but no barrels had been tapped and the larders were full. The last of the unconvincing theories is that the ship, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, aliens. Yep, alien abduction. Come on, you're better than that. Get that thought right out of your bonds. So that leaves us with the two most plausible theories to explore. The alcohol on the ship, and the bad weather. Bad weather is definitely a strong contender for panicking the crew so badly that they thought there was no escape. After all, the signs were there on deck that something had happened which caused them to check the water levels in the ship, and if there had been a sudden buffeting by the waves, a whirlpool they couldn't escape, or any frantic weather which caused a major panic and subsequent evacuation, then it's quite plausible that the evacuees simply drowned in the overcrowded lifeboat. Or perhaps they didn't even make it aboard the lifeboat before being swept out to sea. The ship was found nine days after the final entry in the ship's log, so perhaps the crew had seen a waterspout approaching and decided to evacuate before being dragged in, but didn't escape in time on the lifeboat. The ship may have been picked up and dropped elsewhere in the ocean, which at least does go some way to explaining how it got so far off course. The alcohol on the ship may have also played a part in causing a panic on board. After the ship had been returned to port by the De Gracia, the cargo was inspected, and nine barrels of alcohol were actually found to be empty. The barrels themselves were all found to be intact and hadn't been tapped, but had somehow leaked. The wood these barrels were made from was a particularly porous type of oak, and it was only the nine empty barrels which were constructed from this material which had seemingly spilled their contents. If the barrels had been slowly releasing their fumes into the hold of the ship, this could have led to a build-up, and with a naked flame such as a pipe or a candle, a flash fire could have easily erupted. However, there were no signs that a fire had broken out on the salvage Celeste, and the crew of the Gracia had reported that when they boarded the ship, all the doors to the cargo decks were secured. The hatches I mentioned earlier that were open when the ship was discovered didn't even lead into the cargo deck at all, So that does throw a bit of a spanner in the works. The potential for panic here, though, was that someone on board the boat would have smelled the fumes coming from the leaking booze and thought the boat was in danger of going up in flames any second. Or perhaps there was an explosion. In 2006, Dr. Seller, a chemist at University College London, built a replica of the ship and tested out this theory. By creating a paper version of the barrels, they set light to the equivalent amount of escaped alcohol fumes, which would have leaked from the faulty barrels. The resulting flames exploded into a ball which engulfed the model, but didn't leave behind any fire damage whatsoever, due to the cool air pulled in behind the immolated fumes. These flames would have been enough to cause panic on board, and would have made everyone think a worse explosion was on its way. The captain would have ordered an immediate evacuation, crammed everyone into the one lifeboat, and they would have taken their chances on the high seas. Both the explosion and the weather theories are definitely the most compelling, and when you combine the two, the likelihood of an explosion during bad weather definitely sounds like the one which would have resulted in the evacuation and the subsequent deaths when the lifeboat sank in the choppy conditions. But of course, there's no fun in being the voice of reason here, so, I say it was the Kraken. A mutinous alien Kraken who rose up from the depths, fired a firebolt, grabbed the fleeing inhabitants of the Mary Celeste in his slimy tentacle, and dragged them to Davy Jones' locker. Definitely seems like the most plausible theory out of them all. Whatever happened to those on board the Mary Celeste will never be definitively solved. The real story of those on board that fateful voyage has almost sunk with those that perished, succumbing to the law for the sake of a good yarn. However, history should always prevail, but for the sake of a good story, perhaps this one will always remain a macabre mini-mystery. so much for joining me for that episode. As always, I'd love to know your theories on this one, so leave your thoughts in the comments on YouTube or on my social media if you're listening to the podcast. Whilst you're there, if you wouldn't mind giving the video a thumbs up or the show a rating on your podcast provider, then I'll be eternally grateful as it's so helpful with that pesky algorithm. And also it lets me know that you enjoy what I make and that I'm not just shouting into the void of the internet. If you're new around here and you've not yet subscribed and you've made it to this point in the video, then what are you doing? Do yourself a favour and hit subscribe. I'd love for you to join the Ghoul Gang. We're a friendly bunch and we seem to be growing in numbers, so do come and join join us. Join us. Join us. Also, if you do like the show and you'd like to support what I do so I can make more of them, then why not consider becoming a patron like these amazing legendary executive Patreon producers, Sam, Barry, Veronica, Sarah, Kate and Mary, and all of our other patrons too. Patrons get an exclusive show from me once a month, you get to vote on what episodes I do next, and also depending on the tier, you'll get some tangible goodies through the post too. I'll leave the link in the description for Patreon so you can check it out at your leisure if you'd like to. Thanks for joining me for another macabre mini-mystery. I've been Nikki Deuce, and I'll see you ghouls next time. M'lady.